0: amen the, the Lord says come everyone who thirsts come to the waters and he who has no money come buy and eat come buy wine and milk without money and without price why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy listen diligent diligently to the, to me says the Lord and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food incline your ear and come to me here that your soul may live. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to worship your great name today. Father, I pray that we, as you are here, present with us today by the power of your Holy Spirit, Father, would we emotionally, physically, spiritually, would we be here present with you today? Father, you call us to yourselves, to yourself, because you know that you have that which satisfies us, not just today, but forevermore. And so, as we worship you today, would you satisfy us completely in you? In Jesus' name, we thank you and we praise you. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you, worship team. Man. Thank you, Bella and Alden. What a blessing, man. Alden, be honest, we're in church. Do you feel like you got your voice from me, your singing voice from me? (laughs) Yes? Did I hear a yes? I felt a a no? No, I heard a no. Okay, that's that's very fair. (laughs) Thank you so much, JJ. Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. Welcome. Uh, For those who I have not met yet, my name is David. I have the privilege of being one of the pastors here at Trinity. If you're new here, a special welcome to you. We are marching through our Lenten series called Kingdom Come. During Jesus' earthly ministry, he taught and spoke more about the kingdom of heaven than about anything else. In fact, After Jesus went to the cross, died for our sins, and rose again three days later, he gathered the disciples together and he taught them for 40 more days about what? Acts 1, verse 3. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke to them about the kingdom of God. So, the aim of this series has been to learn about this kingdom, the one everlasting kingdom to be in awe of its King, Jesus, and to surrender every area of our lives to Him in service to His kingdom. Now, after Jesus taught the disciples for those 40 days, He ascended into heaven where He's seated at the right hand of God. But before He left, He formally commissioned them, and in doing so, He commissioned every single future Christian into service of His kingdom. Jesus said to them, he said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is the great commission. Christians are not just called by the king but commissioned into kingdom service. We are not just given a new life in Christ by grace, through faith, but we are given a purpose. Every Christian called, every Christian commissioned. We are to be ambassadors of heaven's kingdom here on earth, representatives in word and deed, images of Jesus Christ And it is this ambassadorship that I want to focus on today, and I readily admit that portions of this will sound and feel much more like a Bible study than a sermon, but we have to biblically define some terms and concepts so that we can rightly understand the following three important characteristics of this commission. Number one, our authority as ambassadors. Number two... Our ministry as ambassadors, and number three, our motivation as ambassadors. Now, this sermon was originally intended to be about the authority we have as ambassadors, but as I studied throughout the week, I have never written, if you've ever written and deleted an email or a text over and over and over again, that was this sermon. And as I studied throughout the week, it just became so clear to me that our authority here on earth as ambassadors of heaven's kingdom, is inextricably linked to our ministry and completely controlled by our motivation. It is inextricably linked to our ministry and completely controlled by our motivation. Think about it. If we run off to do ministry with authority, but we have the wrong motivation, it will end very badly. If we have divine authority and heavenly motivation, but we never carry out any ministry, we accomplish nothing in the name of Jesus. And if we have motivation in ministry, but no authority here on earth, we are completely ineffective. And so let's jump in. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 16. We're going to be in 2 Corinthians 5, which will draw out our three points but before we do anything, would you just join me one more time in prayer? Heavenly Father, you know the, <laughs> you know the challenge that I had personally with, with this message and with your revelation this week. And so, Father, I pray that my words are your words and that I have correctly interpreted this passage not with my human wisdom but by the power and revelation and guidance of your Holy Spirit. Father, this is important to our lives because this this ambassadorship is identity language for us. That you did not just call us as children of God, which if you did only that, would be infinitely more than we deserved, but you've commissioned us into your service here on earth, and so we have to rightly understand this so that we can rightly, biblically, powerfully, and with a sense of kingdom urgency, carry out your mission here on earth. So Holy Spirit, would you be the teacher here today? In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Okay, you can join me in the Pew Back Bible. We'll be on page 797, and we say every week, if you do not own a Bible, that one is our gift to you. But this is Matthew chapter 16. The text will also be on the screen. Again, that's page 797. We'll start in verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. And still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you? He asked. Who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. Now if you want to hear a somewhat tolerable sermon on verses 13 through 18. I preached one back in June here during our sermon series in March. And as you can see, I have my Matthew 16 uniform on. (laughs) What do I have? I got it? But what was funny is during that sermon, I remarked, that I didn't have the time to tackle verse 19, which is exactly what gives us our first point today. So it's fun to circle all the way back to it. But very quickly, the preceding verses to verse 19 give us the immediate context for how we are to interpret verse 19. And what they say, Jesus at this point in his ministry, this is where he begins to really reveal to his disciples at a much deeper level who he is. And he begins to prepare them for his suffering and death. In fact, right after this, he starts to tell them about him going to the cross. To which Peter says, "Not a chance, Lord! No way!" Right? And then he says, "Get behind me, Satan! Right? You don't have your mind set on the things of God." And so he asks his disciples for popular opinion. Then he asks them, "Who do you say that I that I am?" And Peter gives the gospel confession: "You are the Messiah." the anointed one, the Savior, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says that Peter is blessed because of that revelation from the Father. And it is on that gospel foundation, the declaration of the person and work of Jesus Christ, that Jesus will build his gathering, his people, his church. And then he says to Peter, Verse 19, which is a verse that can be the source of a lot of confusion if we let it. He says this, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now, to be clear, Jesus says these words to Peter. And the context, remember, is that Jesus is building his church on that gospel declaration. But in Matthew chapter 18, Jesus gives, this. he says these exact same binding and loosing words to a group of disciples in the context of church discipline. So this binding and loosing is not some top secret authority given only to Peter. But at first glance, doesn't it sound like Jesus seems to be suggesting that heaven is now taking orders from earth. You know, hey, if you guys bind something down here, we'll go ahead and bind it up in heaven. But look how much clearer it becomes when we simply read what Jesus said in his own native tongue. In Greek, in the Aramaic, Jesus says, whatever you bind on earth will already have been bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will already have been bound, or will already have been loosed in heaven. Now this binding and loosing, these are rabbinic terms, which meant to forbid or permit behavior or actions. So what Jesus did here was to give Peter and the disciples authority over behaviors and actions to permit or to forbid when the church was birthed immediately after Jesus' resurrection and his ascension. But that authority was guided by the Holy Spirit towards what was already decided in heaven. And we see an example of this within the early church. It comes to us in Acts chapter 15. There was a big to-do amongst the brothers in Jerusalem regarding whether or not the newly converted Gentiles had to obey the customs and laws of Moses. And so the brothers in Jerusalem, they convened a council. They discussed, and the answer was no. They do not have to conform to the laws of Moses. And in the letter, the Jerusalem church wrote to the new Gentile believers. They said this, It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us We do not seem fit to burden you with anything beyond the following. And then they laid out a few key things that the Gentiles could do that would actually increase fellowship and unity between the Gentiles and the Jews. And so acting in accordance with the Holy Spirit, the disciples loosed the requirements of the law of Moses on the Gentiles. They permitted the Gentiles to do what the law of Moses forbade. And this was in agreement with what heaven already decided. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit. They didn't change heaven's mind. The Holy Spirit inspired them in agreement with heaven. Now remember, the early church only had the Old Testament, the Old Covenant. They were living the New Testament. But we now have the closed canon of Scripture. So while we too have the Holy Spirit dwelling with us, we also have the final word of God with which we can bind or loose, permit or forbid. And as pastors and as elders and as leaders, we sit down with people and we have really sensitive and tough conversations about lifestyle and choices and actions and behaviors. And can you imagine if we did that based on how we feel? No. We do it based on the Word of God. And I know that many of you, some with your extended family, have had challenging seasons because your lifestyle beliefs are not shaped by culture or by feeling, but by the Word of God. And this is another reason why we will never, ever, ever compromise the Word of God. Why it is so important to be rooted in Christ, why discipleship in the way And the word of Jesus matters because the word of God is absolute truth. It is absolute authority. It is our authority as we carry out His ministry here on earth. We do not have authority as ambassadors of heaven's kingdom based on age or human knowledge or title, or office, or tenure at church, or prophecy, or gifts, or abilities. The authority we have as ambassador of of heaven is the unchanging, unshakable, inerrant, and infallible word of God. So when we exercise our authority grounded in the word of God, when we stand on the promises of God, we stand in agreement with heaven. But I need to take it a step further. When we, as ambassadors of Christ, exercise our authority to encourage one another, to pray for one another, to affirm the truth of scripture over our lives, when we reinforce God's love, When we tell you that God loved you so much that he sent his only son to die for you, that in Christ you are forgiven, cherished, washed clean, that you have infinite value and a purpose for your life, when we tell you that God is for you and that nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus, we are not giving you man's opinion. We are affirming heaven's fact with divine authority. Amen? Now, a closing thought on the binding and loosing before we get to the keys. And I know that I depart from some theologians when I say this. But I cannot find any evidence in the language, in the custom, in the culture, or in the historical record of the early church of binding Satan or demons or loosing blessings in favor. I can't. But I can find plenty of evidence of rebuking, of casting out, praying for freedom and deliverance, praying for healing, praying for redemption, praying for restoration, praying down those promises of God all in the mighty name of Jesus. That is a biblical fact. Now, quickly to the keys of the kingdom. In Matthew 16, Jesus says that he will give Peter the keys to the kingdom. It is specific to Peter. The you there is not plural. It is Peter he is talking to. But hang with me for a minute because we'll see how this applies to all of us. And if you've ever wondered where the whole when you get to heaven, you'll meet Peter at the pearly gates thing comes from, this is it. But there is something specific in history that is linked to Jesus saying that he will give Peter the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Before Jesus ascends to heaven, after his resurrection, he tells the disciples to wait. Don't make a move. Go to Jerusalem and wait. And that they will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon them. And they will be Jesus' witnesses in Jerusalem, all of Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Remind me, who preached the gospel on the day of Pentecost when 3,000 people were saved? Come on, let's get Pentecostal. Who, Who did it? Who preached it? Peter. And where was he again? Jerusalem. Then, with the stoning of Stephen, the first Christian martyr persecution breaks out against the church in Jerusalem, and God uses that to drive the Christians out of Jerusalem, bringing with them the gospel. Right? You try to kill Christ, and he raises, rises from the dead. You try to kill Christianity, and it just multiplies. And a disciple named Philip, he lands in Samaria, and he preaches the gospel, and many are saved. And the apostles who are still back in Jerusalem, they hear of Samaria accepting the gospel, and they send Peter and John to verify it. And although the Samaritans believed and were baptized, listen to this from Acts chapter 8, when they arrived, Peter and John, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come to any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. It's like Peter's unlocking the kingdom in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. And then in Acts chapter 10, Peter preaches the gospel to Cornelius, the first Gentile, and his whole household believes they're saved, and they receive the Holy Spirit. Heaven unlocked, Jerusalem, all of Judea and Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Peter played a key role. See what I did there? Key role. No, nothing, forget it. <laughs> Peter played a key role in advancing the gospel in accordance with Jesus' literal geog- geographic instructions. But in Acts chapter 10, that's the last we see of that in Scripture. After the gospel is preached to those people groups for the first time, it is not as if the Holy Spirit blows the whistle and ends the Great Commission. Paul travels the known world preaching the gospel and planting churches. Thomas travels to India and brings the gospel there. Countless missionaries thereafter. In fact, if you've given your life to Jesus, it is because a disciple of Jesus unlocked heaven for you by preaching to you the good news. The Holy Spirit opened your eyes and opened your heart to receive it and you were born again. And salvation is so much more than this. But how does someone get into heaven? How is heaven, how is eternal life unlocked? Did Peter and the disciples lay out, did they roll out a list of things to do? No. Salvation comes by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. So where does faith come from? Faith comes through hearing, hearing through preaching, preaching the word of God. Well, so wait a second, preacher man. It sounds an awful lot like you're saying that Jesus gave Peter and all Christians the authority to decide who to let into heaven and who to keep out. Well, let me give you the theological and somewhat long-winded but comprehensive answer. No! 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 Like, that's not even good enough to be wrong. No. As ambassadors of the kingdom of heaven, we were not given the authority to decide. We were given the authority to declare. Why would we need the authority to declare the gospel? Well, remember, earth is not our home. We are in foreign territory. And believe me, declaring the gospel and standing on the authority of the Word of God is a declaration of war, of spiritual warfare. Which brings me to my second point. Yes, Christians are given authority. We are given authority within the Word of God and declaring the good news here on earth. But our authority cannot be separated from our ministry. And if you were to describe our ministry as ambassadors in one word, what would it be? Time for 2 Corinthians 5. And this will be up on the screen. Paul writes, For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this very way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. All this is from God who reconciled. Everybody say reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave to us the ministry of reconciliation. Everybody say reconciliation. That God was reconciling. Everybody say reconciling the world to himself and Christ not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Everybody say reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God now this is not a trick question as Christ's ambassadors what is the point of the ministry that we've been given reconciliation reconciliation God making his appeal to humanity through me and through you. Think about that. This is God totally unwinding everything that the enemy did when he tempted man and woman to sin in the garden. The enemy preached to Adam and Eve a gospel of division and death, working to separate man from God. But here is God through Christ using his ambassadors here on earth to rejoin man with God by preaching a gospel of life and reconciliation. Everything we do, everything we say, the way we act, the way we treat each other, the way we treat one another, the way we carry ourselves in the marketplace, in our homes, in our jobs, on the sidelines of the game, online, social media, everything we do should resound with this ministry and message of reconciliation. The very fact that we are commissioned as ambassadors indicates that there are different kingdoms on earth here at work. And the very fact that our ministry is one of reconciliation, by definition means that there is still alienation. In Christ, God reconciled us to him. And our ministry is to introduce people to Jesus through whom they can be reconciled to God. Outside of that ministry, outside of that commission, we have no authority. And this is what I mean when I say that our authority is directly linked to our ministry. When we understand that, that our authority is housed within a ministry of reconciliation, it makes it inconceivable that we could use the Word of God, our authority, to hammer or condemn someone. Yes, it is impossible to responsibly preach the Word of God and exercise that authority within this ministry without calling out sin and calling for repentance. But I have yet to meet the person who was condemned into the kingdom. And furthermore, It seems inconceivable that we, as brothers and sisters in Christ, could be alienated from one another. That there would be a shred of unforgiveness in our hearts. Or a hint of something unreconciled. If the infinite chasm between man and God could be reconciled by Christ... How could brothers and sisters in Christ not be reconciled to one another? We are ambassadors of our king, authorized by the word of our king into the ministry of our king. So how can we ensure that the posture of our hearts is consistent with our king? Point number three our motivation. Now look again at how Paul begins this section in 2 Corinthians 5. He says the love of Christ compels us. Now why Paul? Why are you and the other disciples so motivated and compelled by the love of Christ into this ministry of reconciliation? Because we are convinced, Paul writes, that one died for all Therefore, all died. Let me clarify. I've been saying throughout this that we are not only called by Christ, but commissioned by Christ as his ambassadors and his representatives. But before we ever represented him, he represented us. In his letter to the Christians in Rome, Paul writes the following, death came into the world through sin, and sin came into the world through one man, Adam. And all born after Adam were born under Adam and therefore under sin. But God's free gift of grace is not like Adam's trespass that plunged the world into sin. For if Because of Adam's trespass, death reigned throughout one man. Much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through one man, Jesus Christ. If you've ever wondered why Jesus could not be born into this world through Joseph, but had to be born through the Holy Spirit, this is why. Because all who were born under Adam are born under the curse into sin. Because Adam sinned, all men sinned. But Paul writes, just as Adam's sin resulted in the condemnation of all people, so also one righteous act resulted in the justification and life for all people. Just as through the disobedience of Adam many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of Jesus the many will be made righteous. In the garden, Adam and Eve used their freedom to choose disobedience. They reached up to the tree, they took the fruit, and they ate, and we all died with them. But it was Jesus who subjected himself to human flesh in total obedience to the will of the Father. Jesus climbed up the tree and died that we would all live through him. In Christ, God bound up any penalty of sin, which is death, and your penalty, which was death, and he nailed it to the cross, canceling the record of death that stood against us. And through faith in Jesus, we are loosed from the demands of the law, from the wages of sin, for God made him who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God before we ever represented Jesus on this earth, He represented us on the cross. Now back in those days, when a king waged war on his enemy, the animal of warfare was the mighty war horse. But when that king conquered his enemy, he would ride into the conquered land not on a war horse, but on a donkey to offer terms of peace. And today we remember and celebrate, on this Palm Sunday, the king of the universe, riding into Jerusalem, marching to the cross, not on a war horse, but on a donkey. And it was not so much that Jesus was bringing terms of peace between God and man. Jesus himself was the peace offering. He laid down his authority and picked up a cross. For his mission was not one of destruction, but of reconciliation. And it is his self-sacrifice that propels and compels our ministry. If you've put your faith and trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, one day he will call you home to heaven. Until he calls us there, he calls us here to bring heaven wherever we go. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for for the way that it edifies us, the way that it clarifies for us, the way that that it lays out in plain terms, not just what you've called us out of, which is a life of sin and death, but, Father, what you've called us into, a life of redemption and restoration and reconciliation, but, but Jesus, you are so good to us. You didn't just save us from something, but you saved us for something, and you call us, you call us to be your ambassadors, and you've given us all of the authority that is in this word, this word of God. Father, within that authority, you call us to exercise it in all humility, in all patience within this ministry of reconciliation, of bringing people back into relationship with our Heavenly Father. And Father, we pray that that becomes truth, that we see marriages reconciled relationships restored, that we see neighborhoods call on your name, that we see our our state, our nation, fall on its knees before you, reconciled to you by this great and wonderful and powerful gospel that we proclaim. Father, as we go about doing your work, that ministry of reconciliation here on earth, Father, would the motivation of our hearts be the self-sacrifice of your Son, laying it all down, not counting our lives worth anything, but doing all of this, that your kingdom may expand here on earth until you call each of us home. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen.